Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King. Uh, Lord, we ask tonight that you will uh, come into our presence, this, or come into our um, into this study tonight, that we would feel your presence, that we would sense that you were here with us, that we would know with assurance that that uh, you are with us. Um, for indeed, Lord, we have your words that you would never leave us nor forsake us. So by faith, we pray and know that you are here with us. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take control of the study, that you would um, cause us to uh, press into the words with a deeper understanding, with an appreciation for uh, not only the relevance of the words, and the importance of the text, but the um, but being convinced of the power of, of, of your words, because it is your promises, O oh God, that will keep us and sustain us in these last days. It's not our own feelings even on the matter. It's not, well, this is what I think the Bible says. This, it's not, uh, this is what I heard my rabbi say, or this is what my pastor is teaching. But it is what we have studied, what we have read, what we have learned, what we've been assured of, um, what we know that you have said, and by faith, uh, you have uh, caused our hearts to to lay hold of those promises, and to to make them as an anchor, a surety for our soul. And so, Lord, we thank you for the objective words of the Torah, for uh, the scriptures, uh, for the promises that are true, that are yes and amen in Yeshua. Thank you, Father, for uh, reminding us uh, that these are uh, times in which. Um, the only way that we can know that uh, our steps are going in the right direction is, is if we continue to keep our mind focused on you. Um, the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord we read. And so we know that as we seek your face, as we continue to to trust in the Lord with all our heart, and to, to what does the scripture say, lead not unto our own understanding. It goes on to say, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Lord, that's the only way that we're going to know and have assurance that our lives are, are, are going in the direction that you would have us to go, and that's to trust in you and to hope in you and to wait on you. For those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We also read in the scriptures. And so we thank you for these wonderful promises. Be with us as we turn to the book of Galatians again. I pray that you'll open the eyes of our heart so that we can understand, give it our give our ears a, a capacity, a greater capacity to hear your voice, 
and uh, give us strength to walk out the truths that we're going to find. And we'll be careful to praise you and to give you the praise, B'Shem Yeshua, name. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in once again to another study at the Book of Galatians. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher out at, Can- at uh, Congregation Kehilat Tunuva, which is in Thornton, Colorado. I'd like to welcome you out uh, on a Saturday. If you're ever in the Denver area, join us at our uh, weekly congregation or at our um, Shabbat service there. And uh, you won't find me there because I'm coming to you all the way from South Korea, other side of the world. But I'm delighted to be able to meet with everyone week by week, uh, even if it is only through the internet. It's, um, what should I say? It's uh, it's fellowship that's vital <laughs> to me, and so I'm so thankful that uh, those of you who can meet me uh, week by week via Skype, live each week by Skype, I'm, I'm so thankful for the fellowship that you provide. Even if you can't make it week by week, you're certainly invited to um, follow along on the uh, commentaries, either online uh, go to my website at uh, tetzetorah.com, T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com, and you can find the Galatians notes right there on the front page. Just click on the link that says Galatians Commentary, and that'll take you to the page that has all the um, written notes and references to the audio portions that I record. So if you can't meet with us each week on Skype, which is about 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Saturday evening, um, Central Standard Time, just adjust, adjust your time clock accordingly. If you can't meet us by Skype uh, live each week, um, then uh, be sure to head over to my website and catch the audio recordings that I upload after the fact. You can also reach me uh, the, uh, the, uh, by way of iTunes. Head on out to iTunes and uh, subscribe to the podcast or just listen to it. Uh, if you have iTunes installed on your Mac or your PC, then um, when you open iTunes in the upper right corner, there's a search box. Just type my name in there, Hanavi, H-A-N-A-V-I-Y, or type in Gal- the word Galatians. Either one, and you should be able to find my podcast there. Um, one last note, uh, for those of you who are in the live class, uh, as you recall, we meet uh, after class, after the teaching. Stay Stay tuned after the teaching for about... I don't know, 20, 30 minutes or so, whatever time permits, and we just chat with one another and share with one another what's been going on uh, with each other or discuss uh, the notes that we went over, any questions or comments or corrections that you might have for me, things like that. So um, if you're not coming, if you're not meeting us live in Skype, then you're missing out on the live chat. Uh, I'd love to have you join us. It, there's no cost to you. It's free. Uh, you just need to have Skype installed on your Mac or PC or your smartphone so that you can dial into the uh, study, okay? I think that's all. All right, for those of you who are in the live class, let's date stamp our recording tonight. This is uh, October the 21st, 2017, and this is week 76. 76 or 77, I always get confused. It's one of the two. So we're, um, we're just chugging along through... Uh, the book of Galatians, and I think we're making progress. I mentioned last week that we've reached a, a two-year mark, two-year milestone. We've been going for about two years now. I think it's it's almost exactly two years, two years to like the week or so, and we're already in chapter five, so that's progress for me. We're just going uh, chapter by chapter uh, 
through my commentary, paragraph by paragraph, I should say. It's not even really verse by verse, because I don't cover every verse in the, in the book. Turn with me now, if you've got uh, your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. I'm going to jump through some liturgy tonight. Um, those of you who are with me in the live study, you should see this on your screen. Uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 6, pulled up. For the liturgy out of the Tanakh, I'm going to jump through a few different passages. I'm not going to stick in one passage. Maybe it isn't really necessary for you to turn in your Bible. Maybe you can just listen along. I'm not going to read um, all of Deuteronomy 6. I'm just going to highlight a few verses, then I'm going to jump over to another chapter, like chapter 28, I think, and just pick out a few verses there. I'm I'm selectively choosing a few verses here and that that here and there that kind of go along with the message of the the teaching tonight, as long as well as go along with the uh, the liturgy that we're reading out of the apostolic scriptures. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the the first verse I want to bring out is um, out of the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Uh, let's see. I'm going to skip over verse 4 and 5, which we're familiar with if, you're, if you've ever uh, prayed like Shakarit or Mincha prayers, if you're praying like the set time prayers twice a day, or if you're... Uh, if you own a prayer book and you've read through the uh, the prayers and you're familiar with these portions of Scripture, um, I'm going to skip 4 and 5 real quick. I just want to jump into verse 6 um, where Moses talks about the words that God is commanding. So I want to read um, just 6 and 7. Notice, notice just the practical import of what God's asking Israel to do concerning the commandments, right? The, 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 the Torah itself. Notice he says in verse 6 uh, in the English, and if you're looking at your screen, you're looking at the 100-year-old Jewish Publication Society version of the Bible, the 1917 JPS version. Verse 6 says, And these words, speaking of, of course, the words that Moshe is giving them, the words that they had um, uh, the words that they had received on Torah at Sinai. So this would include not only the ten words, but by way of context, as we know from reading um, the entire Torah, we know that this basically is a, a commission to take on the entirety of not just the Ten Commandments, but the what would, what the rabbis would later call the 613. In other words, it's it's the whole of the Torah. So uh, he's not just talking about the words that are coming out of his mouth right there at the moment. So these words which I command thee this day shall be upon their heart. Uh, the Hebrew says, V'hayu hadrim ha'eleh these words, right? These words, um, And he says in verse 7, And thou shalt teach them, so we still have the same subject, right? The words. Thou shalt teach these words diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them, right? What's the them? It's, it's still these words. When thou sittest in the house, when thou sittest in the house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up, risest up. Gotta love the, the uh, old English there. And um, uh, in the Hebrew it says, um, And then in verse 8 he says, Thou shalt bind them, speaking of the words again, upon thy hand, and they shall be frontlets between thine eyes. Uh, and then verse 9, thou shalt write them, again, still speaking of the words of God, upon the doorposts of thy house and upon thy gates. So, 
there's uh, I don't want to get into all the particulars of how in the world they're supposed to bind them on their hand and put them as frontless beating them on their eyes and are they really supposed to literally put them on the doorpost of their house and things like that. The the point I want to bring out just briefly without turning this part of the liturgy into a sermon is just that God is basically commissioning Israel at this point in time to to understand the importance of God's words. Right? That's that's basically the gist of I think what Moshe is trying to get them to understand, these words that I'm commanding you, they are to be upon your heart, verse 6 says. They're important. They're not just in your head. They're on your heart. And then there's all these things that they will, that I want, that I expect of you. They, they really become your lifestyle as you teach them to your children and your house when you're coming, when you're going. Uh, symbolically, they'll be upon your hand and, and um, bind them up between your eyes, whether symbolically or literally, literally both. Uh, write them on your doorpost of your house, write symbolically or literally or both. So that's the first part that I want to bring out in liturgy. And then in that same chapter, uh, verse chapter six. I just want to jump down real quick um, to verse seventeen, uh, which reads, "Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you." Now again, God is uh, reiterating. Of course, this is Moshe talking, but God g- uh, gave the words to Moshe, so Moshe is relaying the importance of what God is exp- expressing to Israel. Moshe is relaying it back to them as as Moshe has received it. Now he's giving it back to them, and he's he's commissioning Israel. These are not really optional. Is the point I'm trying to make? It's that God and Israel have entered into a covenant agreement with each other at Mount Sinai, and God has explained to them that He is their God, and therefore by obligation they are His people. Uh, and the obligation that they have now is to commit themselves to follow after God and to keep his words and to keep his charge and to keep his commandments and to love the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, their mind. And you get the idea. And so, Shemor Tishmaron et mitzvot Adonai Elohechem v'edotai v'chukhaiv asher tzivach. This verse here, verse 17, continues on this theme of God expecting Israel to diligently keep Shemor or Tishmaron. I'm sorry, Tishmaron. This doubling up of the Hebrew verb Shemor, Shemar in, 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 the, in the root form. Shemar means to safeguard. So when we say to Shemor Tishmaron, it means to to guard with with guarding. You know, it's kind of this doubling up of what happens in the Hebrew when we're trying to to um, uh, to uh, strengthen the, the force of what God's trying to get them to understand. Not just keep them, but diligently keep them, right? Shemor Tishmarun. And then I want to jump down to verse 25 after this little section where Moshe supposes that the children of the parents that, that he's addressing, the, the, par- the children in time to come are going to ask Moshe, or ask the parents, I should say, uh, what, what's the purpose of all these statues and these testimonies and these commandments? Why, why are they so important? Why do we even have to keep them? What's the, what's the big deal? And Moshe provides an answer in the form of explaining how that that uh, the children of Israel, he reminds them really that the children of Israel, which of course is the parents of the children that were asking the question, how that they were slaves in 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 Egypt and how Pharaoh had had kept them under bondage and that the Lord delivered them with a mighty right arm, with a mighty with a strong arm, with signs and wonders 
that he wrought upon Egypt. This reminds us of what um, takes place during the Passover seders, where the children ask the question, you know, why is this night different from all other nights, and um, you know, why why do we even keep the Passover? And this is a reminder of of the deliverance from Egypt, and the same kind of concept going on in the liturgy here, in the uh, passage where where the son asks the end time to come in verse twenty. But when we get down to verse twenty five, we notice that Moshe reminds. Um, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 24 first. Moshe reminds uh, the, the, the Israel that the Lord commanded us, I'm reading, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, and that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. La yira et Adonai Elohinu Latov Lanu Kol Hayamim La Chayinu I'm sorry La Chayotinu Kuhayom Hazeh. That's verse twenty-four. And then we get this verse twenty-five where Moshe says that the 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 doing of these commandments for Israel, for their part, will constitute a righteous behavior on a on a physical level, a righteousness that can be felt tangibly, meaning a righteousness that God um, um, recognizes on a practical level. In other words, it's a doing of the right thing as opposed to doing the wrong thing in the earth, right? Man is capable of doing wrong and man is capable of doing right. And God is saying, if you keep my commandments practically, we're not even talking about salvation here. We're just talking about doing the right thing uh, you know, a moral righteousness and ethical righteousness, if you want to describe it that way. Also, there's there's a there is a, a ceremonial righteousness baked into this passage as well, but I don't even have to highlight that part um, uh, because a, we already know from history that a good number of Israelites uh, failed to keep the ceremonial parts of the Torah. But there were there were there's an expectancy of of ethical and moral parts that even the lowest of the Israelites was was. Um, expected to do. So Moshe basically just sums it all up by saying in verse 25, and it shall be righteousness unto us. And we know this must be practical righteousness or behavioral righteousness, meaning righteousness that we do even before we come to, to know that God is God and trust in him. Just do the right thing. Just be a good upstanding citizen. This shall be righteousness unto us if we observe to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, right? So again, God is asking Israel, he's not asking him to do something impossible. Uh, I mean, ultimately, eschatologically or spiritually speaking, we know that there is the element of salvation in this passage. We know that ultimately there's a righteousness that can only be um, experienced by those who place their unreserved trust in God, which eventually, you know, from history is going to be described as unreserved trust in Yeshua. So we know that they'll be the same thing. So we know that there's a salvific element here. It will be a forensic righteousness eventually if we observe to do all this commandment, which of course would include trusting in God. That's the key ingredient to being counted as forensically righteous, meaning to be counted as righteous on a salvific level is if you place your trust and faith in God, which eventually is going to mean trust your faith, put, put your trust and faith in Yeshua. So I don't want to read too much into that verse at this point in time. I just want to get you to understand that at this point in time, at the, at the beginning stages, God is just asking Israel, look, 
turn from wickedness, turn from idolatry, turn from um, from all the moral corruption that that is plaguing the earth, and start to, to on the wall, start down the path of righteousness, of righteous behavior, of ethical be of ethical righteousness, of moral righteousness, and and even of ceremonial righteousness. Um, uh, that's the Hebrew of that same passage. Now I want to jump over real quick to chapter 28 of Deuteronomy and look at just a few verses there. This is still part of our liturgy, keep in mind. And this is going to make a lot of sense once I get over to the book of Galatians and we talk about our notes tonight. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, um, Moshe is continuing on this, this, these lengthy sermons um, to, the, to the children of Israel, and he's explaining now the practical outworking of walking into the commandments of God. And we've got, again, this theme of keep my commandments, do what I'm asking you to do, even if on an ethical or moral level or a practical level, on an everyday level, in other words, make this your lifestyle, um, then God will reward such a lifestyle. Notice um, for our liturgy, we'll just look at chapter 28. We'll just look at a few verses. Let me look at verse 1. And it shall come to pass, if, you sh- if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. Notice there's a condition placed on keeping the commandments, right? It's basically a, a, a cause and effect going on. God says, if you do this, right, it shall come to pass, if thou shalt, the Hebrew word in the in the uh, passage for if is im, if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice, voice of the Lord of God. So there's a condition here. The word im is the conditional. If you If you do this, God says, then I, for my part, will do this. Right, and then the, this that God says is He will set thee, that is Israel, on high above all the nations of the earth. That's a really neat condition, right? Wouldn't you like to be in the condition where God says, "If you do this for me, then I'll do this for you," and He describes the thing that He's going to do for you as setting you on high above all the nations of the earth. Now we don't know exactly what that means to be set on high above all the nations of the earth, but if the God of all creation is saying this to you, then it's good enough for me that he's saying that and it's good enough that he can make good on his promise. So, I'm fine with that, right? Uh the Hebrew says vahayu im shmo im shmo I'm sorry, im shmo lishmor laasot et kol hamitzvotav asher anochi metzavcha hayom Ooh, let's see. Untancha Adonai Elohecha alive all kol goyeha arar. All, let's try that one last part. One more time. Kol goyeha aretz. All the nations of the earth. Literally all the goy of the earth. All the, the, if you're familiar with that Hebrew word goy. So, um, we got another verse promising that keep these commandments, which is in the same theme that we just read about earlier in Deuteronomy 6, about keeping the commandments and you'll be blessed. Keep the commandments and I'll make you high above all the earth. Make sure you're diligent to hearken to all these commandments. And then verse 2, and all these blessings shall come upon me. Wow! God is just stacking up the promises. All these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord of God. Notice again we have the conditional. If Thou shalt, or literally in Hebrew this time, instead of saying im, I am im, im, instead of if, he actually says because, literally, um, the word, 
uh, ki, which we're going to read here in the Hebrew. Literally, the word ki is because or uh, on condition that you have done this. So we're still describing the, the cause and effect. In other words, because of your action, God will react this way. So action leads to reaction, which is really kind of nice. Um, and it's it's just that last part, uh, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, that I want to highlight out of the uh, the Hebrew part, ki, ki tishma b'chol Adonai Elohecha. Ki, in the Hebrew, is because you have hearkened unto the Lord thy God, unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And, of course, this is poetic parallelism again. The the phrase in verse 2, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, is parallel to, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, and to observe to do all his commandments, which I commanded this day. So, we have a kind of a, a an equation of, if you, uh, hearkening and, hearkening and, what do we say? Listening to the voice of the Lord thy God, or hearken in, in the, the old English there. Listening to the voice of the Lord thy God is equated with doing all of the commandments. They, they kind of work together. How can you do what God asks you to do if you don't listen to his voice? And if you're listening to his voice, then he is commanding you to do what he's asking you. He's commanding you to keep the commandments. And then, I'm not going to read through the rest of the chapter of 28, but you can on your own. Uh, he goes down, and starting in verse 3, to talk about all the blessings that he's going to uh, cause to come upon you. And these are mainly material blessings, and that's because the commandments are a practical uh, a practical lifestyle that God is expecting of them. Remember, this is ethical, moral, and ceremonial commandments, right? And that's why the rewards are also ethical, moral, and ceremonial. They kind of, they're kind of what I say practical. All of these things about uh, blessing your 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 um, food, blessing your cattle, blessing the fruit of your body, breast, blessing the the fruit of the vine, um, uh, things like that. Uh, you know, making sure that your crops are going to come up. So the practical things, things that they can put their hands on, um, and all these blessings are promised to God and upon the people of that obey his commandments. But then the, the reverse is true, and I don't have to really go into this, but um, uh, when we start to get down to verse 15, and I'll, and I'll stop the liturgy at this point, in verse 15 when God says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments. Notice we've got the conditional again. But it shall come to pass, if Thou wilt not hearken. Vahayim lo. And it's the same Hebrew after that. Vahayim lo. Im is the conditional. Im lo is no. Uh, if not, so im lo. Tishma b'chaldonai elohecha lishmur la'aso et kol mitzvotai v'chukotai v'ashter anochi mitzavcha hayom. Right? If you do not hearken, which the word hearken there in the Hebrew is... Um, Tishma, so that's the listen part, to the voice of Lord our God to observe, which the word observe in the English, in the Hebrew is really the, the lishmor, and then to do is la'asot. It's kind of this neat little doubling up of verbs where we have um, lishmor la'asot, which means to uh, preserve to do or guard to do. Um, in other words, be careful to do. You're not going to do unless you're, you've safeguarded it first, first, right? If there's not something that's been made important to you, you're not going to do it. Okay, so we've got this big theme in the liturgy tonight, in the, uh, out of the Tanakh about, and what's the main theme I wanted you to catch? Be careful to do all that God asks you to do. So this is what God has 
distressed over and over. And you can do this on your own. Just go through the book of Deuteronomy as, as my example. Go through the book of Deuteronomy in the English. You don't even have to do this in Hebrew, but go through the book of Deuteronomy and just highlight all the places where God stresses to Israel to be hark, to hearken, to do, to be careful, to listen to God's voice, to keep the commandments, and all the, you know, to be obedient to his word. And you'll find that it is no wonder that Israel was fiercely nomistic in their service to God, in their duty to God, in their, in their obedience to God's words, and their stressing of keeping the commandments. Make sense? All right. Let's turn now to the book of Galatians and read our liturgy for the apostolic scriptures, and then we'll turn to the commentary and we'll see why I took all of that time and made the liturgy very unique tonight. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're just going to read the first six verses like we did last week. We're going to be parked out in these uh, in this section for probably a few weeks because my commentary is quite lengthy in these first few verses of chapter five. So we're just gonna this we're gonna borrow this liturgy over and over again for the next few weeks. So we're gonna get used to it. Starting in verse one, this is the ESV. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. Verse two. Look, I Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Verse uh, 4 there, you have set, you're severed. And then in verse 5, for through the, uh, through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And then verse 6, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. End quote. All right, so that's verses 1 through 6. Uh, let's read the same out of the Greek, the version that we're using, SBL uh, version of the Greek. Uh, verse 1 reads, Te eleutheria hemas Christas, eleutherosin stekate un kai me palen ze... Let's try that again. Stekate un kai me palen zugo duleas en Verse 2. Ide ego palas lego human hati in peritemnesta, Christas humas uden o thelese. Verse 3. Marturo mai de palen panti antropo, peritemnameno hati, o felates, estin halentan panaman poesai. Verse 4. Katergetet apa, Christu hoitinus en namo, decaeusde teis. Charitas exapacete, verse 5, Hemes garer pnumati epistios elpida decaiusunes apec decamatha, verse 6, in garer Christo Jesu ute per tome, tiscui ute acrobustia ala pistis di agapes in ergumene. All right, let's uh, turn to my commentary and see what we can look at tonight. We're starting in verse 3. We worked our way already to uh, verses 1 and 2, and if you missed the commentary from last week, head on out to TeteTorah.com and grab the audio portion there. It's a little over an hour, um, and so you can get caught up to where we're, where we're jumping into, because we're jumping into the middle of, a, of another discussion here, where Paul is now, he's he's... He's turned once again, as I mentioned last week, he's turned once again to a kind of a strong r- rhetoric. He's, he's, he's not speaking very gently. He's, um, he's using forceful language again, 
obviously it's still loving. It's under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to jump into the flesh. But he is going to start using heavy language again. In fact, he's going to start using um, a terminology that's that's very, very pointed, very technical, um, very... Uh, um, uh, how should we say, very challenging, not just to his listeners, right, those who would be listening to the letter that's going to be read to the congregations, but also I I like to think that Paul has the um, influencers, right, the Judaizers, the, 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 the legalizers, whatever you want to call them, he has those listeners also in view. He knows that they're probably going to be listening to the letter being read in the congregations because they have joined themselves to his congregation. They've, they've. What did we read earlier in chapter one? They snuck in unawares, right, to spy out the liberty that the Gentile Galatians had in, have in Christ, and the, the, so it's in a sense that they're spies among them. Which Paul is. He's like, okay, fine. You guys want to spy out what's going on? Well, then listen to what I have to tell you about the 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 um, freedom that you're supposedly offering to the uh, to the Galatian Gentiles. Uh, so spy on this. In other words, uh, 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 you know, take a listen to what I'm about to tell you. And it's with that that he turns his guns uh, on the, the congregation, and here's what he has to say. We're only going to hit one verse tonight, amazingly enough, and it's going to take me about an hour just to explain this one verse. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. All right. Let me go ahead and just read the commentary, and I think it's self-explanatory. I always say this, and I always go off track, but at least I'm trying, okay? I really do want to just stick to the commentary. Let's see what we got to say. Comments. This verse, in my opinion, is a difficult one to interpret for those who only read the scriptures from a face value perspective. Now, why did I say that? The verse seems to be implying that, at a face value, once a person becomes circumcised, and understandably this must indicate adult circumcision later on in life, right? Because it says, every man who accepts circumcision, right? It's not talking about eight-day-old baby boys here. He's talking about adults, obviously. So, I go on to say that that person, the person who accepts circumcision, is subsequently obligated to obey every single mitzvah, commandment that is, found in the Torah of Moshe. And so it seems like Paul is giving this warning, and that's why I read all the all through the liturgy in Deuteronomy. And now let's explain this, right? I want to explore two issues, in my opinion, that are brought up by this verse, at least two. All right, we're at the top of page one fifty-two in my commentary. If you're following along with the, print, uh, the printed out version, and if you're with me in the class tonight, you should be able to see this on your screen. Here are two issues that I think at least are brought up by this verse that Paul brought, brings in, where it says, I, Paul, testify that, I testify that every man who receives circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. All right, what does he mean by that? All right, here's the two issues. Issue one, does Paul believe that there's a problem with circumcised people being obligated to keep the whole Torah? Is that what he's saying, where he says, I, Paul, tell you that you're obligated to keep the whole law if you become circumcised? Does that imply that Paul sees a problem there, right? Becoming circumcised means that you have to keep the whole law, and that's that's a problem for Paul? That's my first question. And the second issue is, is Paul even talking about the written Torah of Moshe here? When he says, um, I, I, Paul, tell you that you're obligated to keep the whole Torah. And we know when we go back and look at the Greek for a split second, at verse 3, uh, 
peritem nemeno hati ophiletes esten holen ton namon poesai ton namon in the greek there um this word right here namon is rooted in our greek word for law namos which we've looked at from other studies so when we say that um uh the law he is obligated to or the law the whole part of it ton namon poesai this Greek word nomen is a reference to law, but is it a reference to written law? Perhaps it's a reference to oral law? Perhaps it's a reference to both? Perhaps it's a reference to Greek law? So that's part of the questions, right? It's, it's, it's a legitimate question. What, what, what did he mean by law there? So, um, is Paul even talking about the written Torah of Moshe here? All right, let's get jump, let's jump into it and see what we got. Let's start with issue number one. And, but we're only going to go down through, in my commentary, we're going to go down through, I, I'm, I'm assuming that we're only going to make it through, let's see, the bottom of uh, about the middle of page 154. And it's a lot to cover. And I think if I just read through it, you'll see that um, it's self-explanatory, and that way I don't have to elaborate too much on it. And and we'll, we'll break off there, and we'll, we'll continue talking about issue one, but we'll, we'll turn towards the next part of that part two uh, next week. But let's see what we can cover tonight. So we've got about, about two pages to cover. All right, here we go. Let's start with issue number one. We're near the top of page 152. Here's what my commentary has to say. Does Paul believe that there's a problem with circumcised people being obligated to keep the whole Torah? That's my first question. And I ask this question because, what do I say? Additional questions might also be posed for our consideration, obviously. Um, does Paul have a problem with Gentiles wanting to keep the whole Torah? That's another question we could ask. Uh, another one is, did Paul have a problem with Jews wanting to keep the whole Torah? Right? That's another question we could ask. Um, here's another question. Didn't Paul believe that God expected total Torah obedience when he gave the Torah in the first place? Right? Recall from what I read in Deuteronomy about God telling Israel, keep the commandments, be careful to keep them, make sure you obey them, right? Make sure your heart is, is turned towards me, love me with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and these words I command you today shall be upon your heart, right? Teach them diligently to your children when you're coming, when you're going, when you're lying down, when you're rising up. Didn't Paul read the scriptures? Didn't Paul listen in on my liturgy tonight? Didn't he understand that um, that God expects total obedience when he gave the Torah? Didn't Moshe say there in Deuteronomy uh, 6 that we should it will be righteous for, righteousness for us if we are careful to do all of these commandments, right? So it seems like Paul is uh, challenging that. And that's the question says we're asking right now. Doesn't the Torah itself command total allegiance to its precepts and commands? So many questions, so many questions. Uh, let's turn and see if we can begin to find some answers, I say in my commentary. All right. If we follow from the prevailing Christian interpretations of this passage here in the book of Galatians, then anyone wishing to follow after Torah, beginning with circumcision, according to a literal understanding of what Paul is saying to, anyone wishing to follow after Torah, beginning with circumcision, is going to run into a problem, since, and this is the prevailing Christian interpretation, so follow up, this is the problem since no one alive can keep all of Torah perfectly, and thus comes under condemnation for breaking even a single commandment. Now, 
I go on to say in my commentary that such an interpretation is supposedly confirmed by the words of James 2.10 uh, that state, quote, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it, end quote. That's lifting from the, uh, the English Standard Version from James. And this keeps going with, um, with the traditional Christian understanding, I go on to say in my commentary. Uh, uh, so we got James 2.10, but we also have Paul's own words in Galatians 3.10 that we studied months ago. Uh, Galatians 3.10, quote, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, quote, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them, end quote. And we know that in uh, Galatians 3.10, Paul is actually quoting Deuteronomy uh, uh, what is it, Deuteronomy 27, around uh, the last uh, half of the verse or something like that. Let me just jump to it real quick. Uh, Deuteronomy, I want to say 27 verse, I didn't read this in my liturgy, but yeah, Deuteronomy 27, 26, Cursed be he that confirmeth not the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say amen. And so we know that um, Galatians 3.10, quoting Deuteronomy uh, quoting Deuteronomy 27.26 has been interpreted by most people as Paul teaching that unless you do all of the words of the Torah, then you're cursed if you don't keep, keep every single commandment, which seems to accord exactly what James said, that whoever keeps the whole law but fails one point has become accountable for all of it. All right, so let's keep going in my commentary. Thus I say, in this paragraph here, the standard Christian interpretation basically has Paul warning anyone wishing to become circumcised that once they start down the path of Torah obedience, right, with circumcision, they are obligating themselves to keep all of it, 100%, no deviation, no excuses, right? This is the standard Christian interpretation of Paul's warning here in Galatians 5.3. I go on to say in my commentary, the same interpretation that we're talking about this is the traditional Christian view that you're going to encounter if you read your, your standard commentaries or if you uh, attend your average Christian church. This is basically what you're going to catch. This same interpretation, I say, also has Paul concerned for anyone banking on the possibility of success in this path because supposedly Paul knows full well that no one can keep the Torah 100% perfectly. Thus, setting themselves up to be rejected by God for breaking even the least of the commandments in their attempt at perfection. And so, um, stated another way, the standard Christian view of Torah obedience that we're discussing at this point in my commentary is that God expects perfection if the Torah-obedient follower expects to be blessed by God. Remember all those verses I read in Deuteronomy where God explains to Israel that you need to keep my commandments, you need to keep be careful to obey them, you need to be careful to do them and do them and obey them and keep them and teach them to your children and talk about them when you sit in your house, when, you walk in your, when you're walking about, when you're lying down, when you're rising up, you know, write them on the doorpost of your house. Do them, do them, do them. Be careful to do them. But what your average interpretation of these passages in Deuteronomy is, oh, by the way, you got to do them perfectly. You got to do them perfectly. You got to do them perfectly if you expect the blessing, because if you don't do them perfectly, you won't get the blessing. So, and since no one, I say in my commentary, since no one but Yeshua, 
this is according to traditional Christian thought again, since no one but Yeshua kept the Torah perfectly, the proposal of keeping them to be blessed is actually doomed to failure. Right? It's a, it's a failed enterprise. And it's, it's doomed to failure, and it sends the Torah being it follower into a, basically a tailspin, crying out desperately for a Redeemer to rescue them from the bondage of impossible Torah observance that they have gotten themselves into by becoming circumcised. So basically, it's a, it's a, it's a trap. It's a trap. Right? If you start down the path of circumcision, which entails keeping all of it, then you're starting down a failed path. It's, it's, a, it's a path that will lead to destruction, a failed path. So, I say in my commentary, once this poor soul realizes the error of their ways, they will abandon Torah in favor of the true freedom only offered at the foot of the cross. They will turn from Torah's obedience to a life of grace in Jesus, never to return to those old vestiges of Jewish bondage ever again. So basically, that's the, the the prevailing Christian view, and I've I've kind of hyped it up a little bit in case of those of you who are listening to what I just said there, and you're saying, "Gosh, Ariel, that's not what my pastors teach. They don't they don't talk about this this doomed path and this tailspin and this 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 poor soul realizing the error of his ways." What I've done is I've kind of um overemphasized it. I'm speaking in hyperbole for a reason, because I want you to understand that essentially if you get through the meat of most Christian commentaries, that is essentially what they're where they're going. They're they're really trying to 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 get you to be warned away from even beginning down this path with circumcision. And so I say at the bottom of of the of, of my commentary there, the bottom of page 152, is this what Paul is teaching the Galatian Gentiles who are entering into uh, the notion of becoming circumcised. Sorry, my screen went black there for a moment. Uh, is this what Paul is teaching the Galatian Gentiles who are entertaining the notion of becoming circumcised? Is that really what he's saying? All right, we're at the top of page 153, and I'm pretty sure you can see my screen again. Sorry about the black. I forgot that if I click away from the screen, quick click away from the Chrome browser that I'm using, uh, then... Uh, the uh, focus goes away and the screen sharing disappears from Skype for a split second. So I think you guys can see my screen there. All right, we're at the top of page 153. Now, have, after that, after everything that I just said there about the traditional Christian view of reading these verses, I have to say this, all right? So listen up, please. I'm speaking to not only the Messianics who are listening to my commentary, but I'm really hoping that those of you who are listening to my commentaries who are who are traditional Christians, or maybe you even came out of a traditional Christian background. You know, I came out of that background. And when I say came out of that, what I mean is I didn't leave behind my Christian um, beliefs. What I mean is I stopped keeping um, the traditional, like Sunday keeping, Christmas, Easter, eating ham, things like that. I stopped doing those things as a traditional Christian, and I started keeping what I believe to be a a more Hebraic, oriented lifestyle that is um, rooted in uh, a semblance of keeping the commandments as best as I understand God uh, uh, asking us to keep, which means turning towards his festivals, his, his, his fast days, his, his feast days, um, you know, the semblance of kosher and things like that. So that's what I mean by left, leaving a Christian uh, a, a background of Christianity. That's what I mean by that. I'm, I'm still a Christian. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. It's just that uh, you won't find me typically um, uh, on Sunday morning, Easter, Christmas, 
uh, eating ham, uh, things like that. That that's 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 what I'm trying to describe. All right, top of page 153. As a messianic, right, I actually have the highest respect for many many Christian scholars and commentators, both past and present. But but I simply cannot agree with a line of thinking that supposes Paul is warning Christians away from the Torah obedience based on the reality that no one can keep it perfectly. This is such a huge hermeneutical principle that's that's built into the interpretations that you're going to read in your standard Christian commentaries. And therefore, because the, the, the Christian commentaries are going to be uh, giving the fuel for the, for the thousands and millions of sermons that you're going to be listening to on Sunday morning in pulpits around the world from traditional Christian churches, it's no wonder that the pastors are going to be teaching this as well. And this idea that there's this, that, that the Torah is demanding perfection, that the Torah is demanding perfection. All right, it is. It's. It's. A, it's. I, I can't emphasize this enough. That it is just. Uh, um, um, what do we call a pillar of Christian theology? That 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 there's this assumption that God expected the children of Israel to keep the Torah perfectly. All right, and that Paul's warning Christians away from Torah obedience based on the reality that no one can keep it perfectly. Right. Recall the verse that we're looking at. Uh, chapter 5, verse 3, uh, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. Emphasis on the word whole there, right? So there does seem to be this idea that Paul's saying that you've got to keep it perfectly if you wish to receive the blessings that we read about in my liturgy of Deuteronomy. All right, but let's keep reading my commentary. Let's turn to one of my favorites. And, and as soon as I mention his name, um, most of you listening to my commentary are going to understand who I'm talking about. Most of you have heard who this man is. This is one of my favorites, by the way. I grew up listening to this pastor, John MacArthur. I love him. He's 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 the type of speaker that I that I've always wished I could be, and I still do wish this. I listen to his commentaries every week. I listen to them for inspiration, for for instruction, for um for uh, uh, for guidance. Uh, this guy has got such a, a, a great way of explaining the scriptures, and I think he is head-on, spot-on on most of what he has to say. However, um, let me read my commentary. John MacArthur's commentary sermon to this passage from Galatians is actually going to serve to demonstrate the standard Christian view. All right? Because of its relevance, I quoted it word-for-word word at length from his website. All right, and so the next page... Uh, not, not quite a page, but a, a good chunk. This is going to be straight from John MacArthur. All right, so listen up for a moment. This is not a slam on John. This is not a slam on his style. Um, this is just a, a review of his, his hermeneutic, of his interpretation, of his viewpoints into Paul here. All right, quote, You know, everybody's been looking for righteousness, Jews and Gentiles. And you know who found it, Paul says? Gentiles. And I suppose if we were to compare the two, we'd probably say the Jews were looking harder. This is still MacArthur speaking. The Gentiles found it. Why? Israel followed after the law of righteousness, has attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but by the works of the law. Do you see? So many Jews wanting righteousness, searching for righteousness, seeking righteousness, never found righteousness because they tried to find self-righteousness. And the Gentiles were just kind of wandering around, 
the Gentiles just kind of wandering around just got invited to the banquet, didn't they? By faith, they came upon righteousness. By the way, the, the reference that, that John uh, MacArthur is making there is basically to um, Romans chapter 9, right around the end of the uh, passage. Go back and read that. We referenced that last week, by the way, too. Let's keep reading. And MacArthur goes on to say, <clears throat> So first of all, he says false doctrine. First of all, he says false doctrine. The false doctrine of human achievement renders Christ worthless to you. He may as well have never died. You may believe 99% in Christ, act in your belief, and 1% in some act of your own, and you're disqualified. Might as well be that Christ did nothing, never existed, and never lived. He profits you nothing. He benefits you nothing. If you, uh, All of his sacrifice on the cross is absolutely empty, absolutely meaningless, if you count on work that you've ever done to save you. All of grace, absolutely all. And if you add one work, grace is no more grace. You've destroyed it. And you've destroyed the gracious work of Christ. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Now, <clears throat> he's going. He's saying here, he's continuing to compare, and he's showing the absolute dichotomy between grace and law. These are still MacArthur's words, all right? Keep, keep listening. All right, MacArthur goes on to say, let's go to the second thing. The first result of the doctrine of achievement is Christ's profits you nothing. The second is this, quote, you're debtor to the whole law, end quote, verse 3. Now, remember, this is still John MacArthur, Pastor MacArthur, uh, commentary to verse 3. All right, so he says the second part of this uh, verse in uh, Galatians 3 is about uh, you're debtor to the whole law, verse 3. And boy, this is really a hard one to handle, MacArthur goes on to say in his in his classic uh, style of, of speaking. He says in verse 3, quote, I testify again to every man that is circumcised, end quote. All right? Every man that's circumcised. Every man, MacArthur says, literally it says, every man who lets himself be circumcised. That's the Greek rendering, and I agree with his understanding there. Every man who lets himself be circumcised, because it's the Greek is in the passive. Every man who lets himself become circumcised. Um, every man who lets himself be circumcised, if you are to do this, MacArthur says, here's another thing that you've done. You're debtor to do. You're debtor to do. To do what? John says, the whole law. The whole law. If you want to live by law, fellow... You're going to live by the whole thing. One goof, and you're finished. Now let me pause for a moment. Are you guys catching what John MacArthur is saying here? One goof, and you're finished? What John MacArthur is describing is, again, this traditional understanding that has been carried along for centuries in Christian theology that God expected 100% perfect obedience when he gave the Torah. So basically, when you read through all those verses in the book of Deuteronomy that we read through in my liturgy, where God says, keep the commandments, be, you've got to do them, you've got to be careful to do them, even though God didn't say it in black and white there, what the traditional interpretation of the book of Deuteronomy there, and indeed the entire Torah, is that God was demanding perfection, perfection, or to use John MacArthur's words, one goof and you're finished. Okay. Let's keep reading John MacArthur. 
That's pretty strong stuff, John says. He's, he, um, he says, speaking of Paul, I testify, right? Interesting word, marturomai. I testify, marturomai. It shouldn't be translated just simply testify, John MacArthur says. That doesn't really, that doesn't really unload nearly the concept. It should be translated, I protest. I protest. And I agree with John MacArthur there again. Strong statement. I protest. Look at this again to every man. I protest. Now, it may be that um, the again, right? I protest again, because he says, that the again means I just said it in verse 2. I'm saying it again in verse 3. This is John MacArthur's uh, commentary. It may mean I'm protesting again, as I did to you on a previous occasion. So, um, it's either a previous verse or a previous occasion, but whatever he says, I'm, uh, quote, this is John MacArthur quoting Paul, I am protesting that everyone who lets himself be circumcised is debtor to do the whole law, end quote. We're near the bottom of um, page 153. All right, this is John MacArthur still speaking. In other words, if you're going to wipe out grace, there's only one other thing you can live under. What is it? Law. And the only way to be justified by law is to do what? Keep the whole law. Listen please carefully to what John MacArthur is saying about what he believes that Paul is saying of what uh, about the Torah. So we got Paul talking about the Torah and John MacArthur talking about what Paul is talking about. And then we have Ariel talking about what John MacArthur is talking about. Is anyone confused there? Paul's talking about the Torah. John MacArthur's talking about Paul. And Ariel's talking about John MacArthur. It's kind of this domino effect going on. All right, so I hope everyone's not lost. So basically, uh, MacArthur thinks that Paul is talking about keeping the whole law if you're going to go down the path described by law. Keep the whole law. Man, I don't want any part of it, do you? <laughs> it's interesting how uh, John MacArthur says it that way. Man, I don't want any part of it, do you? I don't want a thing to do with it. Man, I just keep, I just accept the fact that God loved me and redeemed me by pure grace. I didn't do one single thing to add to it, and I'm scared to death to try to do one thing to add to my salvation. Then I'm out of grace and, and under the whole law, and I'm damned because I can't keep it. No thanks. Pretty strong argument, isn't it? End quote. All right. That's John MacArthur's quote. And I encourage you to um, not to take uh, Pastor MacArthur's um, um, his interpretation there. Don't take it out of context, which I tried not to, which is why I quoted so much there. Uh, go back and listen to the, to the old whole commentary yourself. It's actually a sermon. It's audio. And that's why he wrote that way. That's why he says, man, I don't want to, man, blah, blah, blah. He's actually, this is actually a transcript of his, of his sermon because he, he, he does so well at preaching that he, his sermons are then transcribed, uh, onto his website. And you can actually just listen to the sermons or you can read the commentary. So go back and read it yourself and listen and see if I misunderstood it. See if I'm not catching the force of what, um, um, uh, Pastor MacArthur is trying to say there. But as far as I can tell, uh, when I lifted that, if you look at footnote number 147, I lifted that from John MacArthur, uh, John MacArthur Sermon Fallen from Grace, Part 1, The Works of False Doctrine, and that's available at his website at uh, www.gty.org. That's GTY is grace to you, the name of his ministry. All right.
So we're at the top of page 154, and let's keep going through my commentary. So if I understand what John MacArthur says there, which, and uh, when I consulted uh, this portion of scripture in my notes, uh, Galatians 5.3, I didn't just look through uh, uh, Pastor MacArthur's uh, commentaries. I've, I've gone through several, several Christian commentaries, uh, looked online, Google searched, uh, uh, debtor to keep the whole law, just so I can get an idea of what um, other Christians and pastors and and not just not just pastors, but other laymen, what other other people are saying about um, what they think Paul is trying to uh, get across to the Galatians here. And by and large, for the most part, this is the these are the results of my of my findings of my searching of my research into this particular passage is that essentially the the prevailing christian perspective is that paul is teaching anyone that seeks to begin down the road of law keeping with the with this idea of circumcision that they are a debtor to keep the whole law and that this is a bad thing. It's a negative thing. It's something you don't want to get involved with because it's either all or nothing. And when we say all, we mean perfection. That God is asking you to keep a perfect standard that God himself knows you can't keep. And therefore, it's an impossible, It's an, really it's an impossible promise where God says, um, I'll bless you if you keep them. For, for instance, um, recall in Deuteronomy uh, 28, uh, verse 2, where God says, And all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Right? And we already explained that. Hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God is equated with what we just read in verse 1. Hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. So basically, when God says at the end of verse 1, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth, and when God says in verse 2, that all the blessings shall come upon thee, basically, if we follow from traditional Christian thought, is if, I, if I'm understanding this correctly, so please correct me, write to me and tell me, Ariel, you're misunderstanding what we're teaching. But if I understand what Christians are teaching, basically... That when God promised to set Israel on high above all the nations of the earth, and when God promised in Deuteronomy 28.2 that all the blessings shall come upon thee, that basically that this is predicated upon Israel keeping the commandments diligently and listening to the voice of the Lord thy God, which, according to traditional understanding of, of, um, of the passage in Galatians 5.3, uh, is an impossible endeavor. So basically, the promise in Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 is actually an impossible promise. It'll never happen. Israel will never be set high above all nations of the earth, and all the blessings will never come upon them. And why won't that happen? Because Israel cannot keep all the words of the commandments. They cannot keep all of the Torah, because no one can. It's a perfect standard that God expects, but yet God knows that no one can do. Therefore, the promise, the carrot on the end of the stick that God's holding out, keep in mind that the being set up high above all the nations of the earth and the blessings that come upon me, that's the carrot. That's hanging out in front of the donkey, in my little analogy. Everyone's familiar with the carrot on the stick hanging out in front of the donkey that's pulling the cart. In that little analogy, the donkey never reaches the carrot because 
Physics demand that the carrot will never move because it's on the end of, a, on an, of, of, an, of an unmovable stick. And so if you've ever seen the picture uh, of, a, of a carrot dangling out on the end of a stick in front of a donkey, the donkey thinks that if he walks forward towards the carrot, that eventually his mouth will encounter the carrot and he'll be able to munch on it. But the human who's um, causing the donkey to be pulled, uh, to, to pull the cart, <laughs> the human actually knows... <laughs> humorously that the donkey will never be able to to eat the carrot because physically speaking the carrot is actually tied to, I'm, I'm laughing because you got to follow along with the picture the carrot is actually tied to the back of the donkey at, at the end of the stick and he'll never actually be able to reach the carrot because no matter how much he walks the the the, the stick moves with the donkey and the carrot moves with the stick and therefore the, the donkey will never be able to eat the carrot. So the donkey doesn't know that. He's just he's going to keep walking and pulling the plow because he thinks if I walk hard enough and fast enough, I'll I'll be able to eat that carrot because it looks so delicious. But the human knows this is just bait. He'll he I'm I'm it's it's bait and switch. He'll never be able to reach the carrot, right? And that's kind of what's going on in my little analogy. The the human is the donkey. The ki- the carrot on the end of the stick is the blessing and the being set high above the nations. The blessings that God's promising in the Torah uh, that's being extended in front of the human, right? That the, is the average Israelite. And who's sitting in the in the uh, who's sitting in the wagon in the back? That's God, the one who tied the the, the carrot to the stick, but fully realizes that no donkey slash human will ever be able to eat that carrot. Because he'll never be able to reach and do all the commandments. Why? Because it's an impossible enterprise. It's an impossible endeavor. So let's go back to my commentary. Having said all of that, you guys understand um, my my uh, uh, surprise and disbelief at the traditional Christian understanding of God supposedly wanting Israel to keep all of the commandments perfectly. So let's read the end of my commentary here. This will um, bring us to the end tonight if I read these just these two paragraphs. Here's the sad reality of Christian exegesis that has its origins in the early Gentile Christian movement that sought to distance itself from its Jewish roots and from anything that resembled Torah observance. Right? Here it is. Quote, the first century Judaisms to include the Apostle Paul did not interpret God's commandments to keep Torah as a rule book that must be kept perfectly. End. That's how I understand the Torah. That's how I understand Paul's interpretation of the Torah. God didn't demand perfection, and Paul didn't un- didn't didn't interpret God demanding perfection, right? And neither did the first century Judaism. No one read the Torah and interpreted it that way. So they didn't understand it. Uh, as a rule book that must be kept perfectly. I go on to say in my commentary, as far as we can tell from reading the Torah itself, right? This is my first advice to you when you're reading through the Torah. Just stop for a moment and think that perhaps maybe God isn't expecting perfection. When God says, keep the commandments. When you go back and look through the book of Deuteronomy, say, for instance, um, chapter 6, like I started with tonight in my liturgy, these words which I command me this day shall be upon their heart. Teach them diligently to your children, verse 7. And then when we drop down to verse 17, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies. And then verse uh, 25, and it shall be righteousness if we observe to do all this commandment. God's not 
asking perfection. God's not expecting perfection. Just consider that for a moment. All right, so go back to my uh, commentary here. As far as we can tell from reading the Torah itself, not just not rabbinic commentary. Don't go back and read the Talmud or the Mishnah or the Gemara or the response literature or all that other stuff for a moment. Just put down Rashi. Turn to the Torah. Turn to the written word. Read the Torah itself. Corroborate that then with the rabbinic writings that have survived from the first few centuries around the time of the writing of the Apostolic Scriptures. That would include the Mishnah and the Talmud that were compiled uh, finally in, like, say, the 5th and 6th and 7th centuries, but were in circulation in their oral form around the time period of Paul. So, at least uh, the Gemara would... I'm sorry, at least the Mishnah was. Maybe the Gemara may have came around, come along later on, but uh, the, the, the oral version of the, of the Mishnah was probably in circulation in Paul's day. So, you can corroborate what the written Torah says with the oral Torah, with the rabbinic writings, but start with the written Torah, okay? You guys understanding what I'm saying here? Start with God's word first, and then make the rabbinic writings agree with that. Don't start with the written rabbis, what they've said, and say, see, the Torah agrees with the rabbis. See, I know that what the I know what the rabbis are saying is true because the Torah agrees with it. No, no, no. Start with the Torah first. All right. As far as we can tell, when we read through the Torah first, and then corroborate that with what the rabbis are saying. What here's what we get. Here's what we come up with. I say in my commentary, no one in Israel would have approached Torah observance with the interpretation that God was expecting 100% obedience. What I mean is perfection. It's not. It's not 100% perfect obedience that God was expecting. He is expecting your whole heart. He is expecting 100% surrender but he's not expecting perfection within the 100% obedience. You guys understand what I'm saying? In fact, quite the opposite is true, and it is easily understood if one will actually remove the anti-Torah bias and let the text speak for itself. So, let's go back and we'll come full circle to my... Um, to my um, liturgy as I bring my commentary to a close here. The Torah commands one to love God with one's whole heart and soul and being. We just read that in Deuteronomy 6.5. And if I go back and look once again at the, um, at the Hebrew of Deuteronomy 6, just for a split second, uh, where it says, um, heroes, I'm sorry, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In the English we read, all thy heart, all thy soul and all thy might. So we've got this all, all, and all. And in the Hebrew, we would see this with right here. For those of you who are in my live class, I'm highlighting it. Behol. So with all, behol, with all. Then we caught, we got again, uvchol, with all. And then finally, one last time, uvchol, with all. So the Hebrew is consistent with the English translation. With all, with all, with all. So there's no question there that God is expecting and commanding complete and 100% obedience. It is all. It's all. So don't get me wrong. But, but, he's not commanding perfection. There's a careful distinction here, careful diction, a careful a distinction, a, a careful difference. 
So I say in my commentary, the Torah anticipates our failure to keep its precepts and thus provides a means to restore the relationship with God and with our fellow man. God knows we're going to fail. God knows we're going to fall. God didn't expect perfection. God knew it from advance that we wouldn't be able to keep it perfectly. And He, and therefore, he never expected perfection. He didn't set a standard that he knew we couldn't keep. It's the opposite. He actually put forth a standard that he knew that we could keep if we trust in him. And he even goes so far as to extend a blessing, right? It's the carrot on the stick. He extends a blessing for when we do keep it. And we can keep it. So, and we could we could see this if we actually turned, for instance, in Deuteronomy to chapter 30. I didn't read this in my liturgy, but if we were to look at uh, chapter 30, look at verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thy heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. So God actually introduces the ingredient that allows us to actually keep the Torah from its fullest perspective, which is a circumcised heart. So it is in verse six. It is within the context of verse six that we can uh, 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 read verse. Um, uh, let's see, which is it? Verse. Uh, where is it? Uh, verse um, uh, eleven. For this commandment. Uh, which I commanded this day is not too hard for thee, neither is it far off. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 30, It's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up to heaven for us and bring it to us and make us hear it for that we may do it. Verse 13, Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, make us to hear it that we may do it? Look at verse 14 of Deuteronomy 30. But the word is very nigh unto us in the mouth, in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. So verse 12, 13, and 14 is set within the context of verse um, 6 of God circumcising their heart. And the point I'm trying to make in bringing out that, that uh, Deuteronomy passage is that all of that is couched within the context of God repeatedly asking Israel to keep the commandments. Keep them. God knows that they could do it if they have a circumcised heart. And indeed, God is going to do the circumcision if they have faith in him, and therefore they can do it. So God doesn't expect perfection, but God does expect 100% obedience, meaning God does expect 100% surrender. And that's what, of course, a circumcised heart means. It means 100% surrender by faith unto God. So I, in closing my commentary, I say, the Torah anticipates our failure to keep its precepts. Even with a circumcised heart, we still fail God. And thus, the Torah actually provides a means to restore the fellowship uh, the relationship with God and with our fellow man. So from the perspective of the temporal covenant, meaning where we've got those who don't have circumcised hearts but are still uh, endeavoring to keep the commandments of God like greater Israel is trying to do, like God expects them to do, God, like God um, commands them to do. So from this temporal covenant perspective, the entire priestly cult with its sacrifices was that means of restoring the relationship of God and with the fellow man. So the, the sacrifices actually allowed man to be restored with one another on an earthly perspective, and it allowed man to be restored in fellowship to God when it came to a ceremonial level. 
right? When you've sinned, you brought a sacrifice, and the sacrifice remediated the uh, uh, the sin between you and God and between your fellow man, so that there was kind of a payment. In other words, the sacrifices did their job. They allowed a payment. They allowed the the fellow the relationship to be restored. They allowed the fellowship to be repaired between you and God, and they allowed you to be um, restored to your fellow man. Sometimes you had to pay like uh, some penalties. Uh, in other words, there were fines that were that were uh, levied against you, uh, sometimes a fifth if you stole something, things like that, along with the sacrifice that you brought. But the point I'm trying to make is that God anticipated the failure of man by implementing the sacrifices. So here's the logic. If God had expected perfection from the beginning, then he would never have needed to implement the sacrifices at all. Because if God expected perfection and knew that man could perfectly follow it on his own, then there's no need for a further sacrifice. There's no need for any sacrifice because the the sacrifice anticipates failure. In fact, that sacrifice is there to provide and to 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 uh, remediate the failure. You guys understand my logic? All right, let's, let's keep going. On both levels, both the earthly slash temporal slash fleshly as well as the heavenly slash eternal slash spiritual level, we have a mechanism that will restore right standing with our God whenever we trip up in sin. On both levels, the sacrifices restore the earthly temporal fleshly and Yeshua restores the heavenly eternal spiritual. So optimally speaking, the, the average Israelite living in the time period of Tanakh, this would include up to uh, the time of Paul when the temple was standing, optimally speaking, your average Israelite should be engaged both on the earthly level, the temporal, that is, he should be bringing sacrifices, and at the same time, he should also be engaged in the heavenly, eternal, spiritual. That is to say, he should have a circumcised heart, just like Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 said, just like the apostolic scriptures teach. He should have a circumcised heart as well. So, optimally speaking, he's functioning on both an earthly and a heavenly level, and thus he will have both types of of forgiveness going on at the same time. Forgiveness of men and forgiveness of God. Thus, I say in my uh, in, at the end of my commentary, thus the Christian notion that God expects 100% obedience is wrong-headed in its approach to begin with, 100% per- perfection. I'm going to go ahead and change my commentary uh, to, show, to say God expects 100% perfect obedience. See where it says God expects 100% obedience in my commentary? I'm going to add the word uh, perfect right there just before the word obedience so you guys understand what I'm saying. Thus, the Christian notion that God expects 100% perfect obedience is wrong-headed in its approach to begin with. God doesn't expect 100% perfect obedience. He knows we're faulty. He knows we're faulty. That is why he sends, I say in closing, his precious Holy Spirit into our lives to enable us to become more likely Yeshua and to actually walk into his Torah with empowerment. Amen? Amen. And I'm going to close with just one verse. Let me turn actually to Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'm just looking this up out of the Blue Letter Bible. Uh, for those of you who are in my class, you can see that I've got this pulled up in the, in the screen. This is... Uh, 
Paul's champion passage of life in the Spirit, because he uses this word spirit more times in this passage than any other time, in by way of concentration, than any other place in all of his uh, uh, writings in the New Testament. The, the, the Spirit and living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, this life in the Spirit, is described by Paul uh, most concentrated in this passage, Romans chapter 8. And what do we read? I'm just going to read the first four verses, only those four. Listen to this, and I, with this I'll close my commentary. This is Paul's commentary of Torah obedience as seen through the lens of a Messianic Jew. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? No condemnation. Where would that condemnation come from? It would come from the written Torah for a person who doesn't keep the Torah. Not perfectly, but for a person who actually doesn't even keep the Torah at all. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Right? There's been a forensic change that Paul's describing. Old man has died, new man has been brought to life by the Spirit. And therefore, there's a change in our relationship to the condemning aspects of the law. Jesus Christ set us free from the aspect of the law that condemned us. We would call that aspect of condemnation the law of sin and death. Verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by our own flesh, could not do. Right? There we have it. We cannot keep the law. We know this is true. We can't keep it perfectly. But remember, God didn't expect perfection. But because of our weakness of flesh, and even even when we tried to keep certain parts, even though some days we could keep it, but other days we couldn't, Right, So on our best days, we were keeping parts of it, but on our worst days, we were violating many parts of it. So what the, what, what the law weakened by our own flesh couldn't do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Again, this is just Paul describing the fact that Jesus' atonement set us free from that condemning aspect of um of sin by taking on sin for us. It's, it's this old substitutionary language all over again. He condemned sin in the flesh. And why why did he do that, right? Why did God's own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, why did the son of God come in the form of flesh and take on the sin of humanity? Why did he do that? Here's the kicker, verse 4. In order that, right, here's the, 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 the a purpose that Paul explains, and I'll close with this. In order that the righteous requirement of the law, the righteous requirement of the law? That's right. God has a righteous requirement that we couldn't fully keep until we had circumcised hearts. But Deuteronomy 6, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 already anticipated this. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And how do we walk according to the Spirit? Well, we do it when we have circumcised hearts, just like Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 describes. So basically, in closing, the way I see it is Deuteronomy 30, uh, talking about um, in verse 12, 13, and 14, when he says, The word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. It is in your heart and mouth that you may do it if your heart is circumcised. And therefore, you don't have to try and keep it perfectly. You just have to first surrender to God, let him circumcise your heart, and then once he does, you will be able to keep the righteous requirement of the Torah, and it's not a perfect, uh, it's not a perfection, it's not a perfect walk, it's not a walk where God expects you to have perfection, 
rather, you're still going to sin from time to time. But what God does know is that because your heart has been circumcised, you will be able to, in the words of Romans 8, 4, you'll be able to uh, fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. The righteous requirement of the law will be fulfilled in you. And that's really the point of God um, giving us these instructions is because he knows that with a circumcised heart, we will be actually we will actually be able to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, that I'm going to close. Let's bring our commentary to a close, and uh, next week we'll be poised to finish. We'll we'll continue with these questions that I ask. Uh, does Paul believe that there's a problem with circumcised people being obligated to keep the whole Torah? And we're going to go ahead and answer the questions that I raised in issue one. We're going to do that next week answer the questions, and we're going to turn to the conclusions of issue one. And I think we'll hit those two next week, and then we'll start looking at issue two. Is Paul even talking about the written Torah of Moses? And I'm just kind of I'm going slowly with this. As you can see in my written commentary, uh, there's quite a bit of notes, and I'm going slowly through this because of the relevance of um, the way this impacts us down to today. As both Jew and Gentile believers in Messiah, what do we do with the law of Moses? Do we jettison? Do we throw it out? Do we pitch it? Do we toss it because no one can keep it perfectly? Do we turn away from it because it's expecting a perfect standard? Do we um, instead abandon it for the law of Christ, which of course uh, we can do? Do we do we um, uh, do we turn away from the law of Moses because it's an impossible standard, uh, because it's bondage, because it's 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 uh, it goes against Christ. What do we do with the law of Moses these days as believers? So that's why I'm taking the the time to go through this lengthy part in my commentary. Okay, all right. Let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name and I thank you for this opportunity to study through the book of Galatians once again with the students. I pray that you'll continue to uh, give us uh, a, a mind to study and to learn and to to uh, apply the words that we are reading through and meditating on. I pray that you'll help us to remember to put on the mind of Christ and to to be clothed with Messiah, to, to put on Christ as we would read, uh, to have uh, the words of Christ dwell richly within us, to, to be filled with the Spirit so that we can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, to not uh, try to walk in the law with our own strength, but to know that as uh, believers in Messiah, we actually can keep the righteous requirement of law because it's been written on our hearts and been written on our minds, and therefore we have no uh, need of shying away from it. But Lord, we know that, um, uh, like the psalmist said, as we hide your words in our heart, we won't sin against you. And so thank you, Lord, for this mandate. Thank you for sending your spirit. Thank you for sending your son to do what we could not do. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. 
Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>